0: DiscerningHearts.com presents Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. Deacon Gutierrez studied theology at the Franciscan University of Steubenville and at the Angelicum in Rome. He holds a master's degree in theology from the University of Dallas. He has worked for the church in various capacities, including as a teacher and administrator and is currently on the faculty of the School of Faith. His expertise includes Catholic social teaching, and his writings on the subject have appeared in several national Catholic newspapers and periodicals. He's the author of The Urging of Christ's Love, The Saints and the Social Teaching of the Catholic Church. Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. I'm your host.
1: The Universal Destination of Goods. I was actually kind of surprised when I found it in the compendium because it's it's not one of those commonly included in some of the other lists of principles that one finds. Mm-hmm. I guess just like with common good, I should start with maybe what it's not. What it's not is, is the church is, does not teach that disparities of wealth are in and of themselves inherently wrong. And by that I mean this the church doesn't teach communism where everybody has the same, have the same, same car and the same number of cars, period. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, the fact that I have two cars with my, you know, large family and you have one car with just yourself is not inherently wrong because, because this is simply not. So the disparity of wealth is not in itself wrong. What's wrong is when the disparity is so great that the person at the bottom can't meet fundamental goods, goods they require and need for their human fulfillment. That's what's wrong. And that's when the disparity becomes wrong if the person at the top can help the person at the bottom to meet those goods. So <clears throat> let's just get that straight. Okay. Now, going forward, what is the universal destination of goods? him at once again, a wonderful document, kind of helps provide us with a little bit of something here. This is paragraph 69, and it states, God destined the earth and all it contains for all men and all people so that all created things would be shared fairly by all mankind under the guidance of justice tempered by charity. And so really simply, God made stuff not so we can have it, but so that we can distribute it to make sure that everybody has what they need, Mm -hmm. period, right? God didn't, give us the right to private property, for instance, and that's one of the rights that falls under this universal destination of goods. God didn't give us the right to private property so that we can hoard as much of it as we possibly can. God gave us the right to private property, as Lilo 13 says, to secure our needs as heads of families or as as individuals, uh, secure our needs, right? Mm -hmm. But beyond our particular needs, he gave us that right to private property so that we can use our property for the betterment of those around us. In other words, for the common good. And that's where the common good and universal destination of goods meet.
0: That distribution is what's so problematic. <laughs> there you go. <clears throat> because we do feel that if I am using my God-given gifts to be able to provide, for example, my family, mm-hmm. and we are able to acquire certain things that help us, that bring us joy, it seems quote unquote, good, that type of hoarding can begin to happen within the context of the individual family, and bigger, maybe the community. Next thing you know, it's the state. Yes. And one state has more than the other mm-hmm. state, which may be in a part of the world where the opportunity to be able to acquire, because of the goods available, whether the, the natural goods mm-hmm. or whatever, is not there. Right. So the one that is benefited Family that has a tremendous amount of goods, we worked for this right, and we acquired this, and this is where we were placed. Am I bound to help help that person say maybe on the other side of the world who doesn't have those opportunities or those goods
1: right well that's i mean ultimately this is the principle that really separates you know the mice from men and and all the rest of it because this is really where things start to get sticky. I've said before, the church does not truck with socialism. You know, there's, the, socialism is clearly out. Okay? But then you have those on, say, the other side of the aisle who will argue for a liberal capitalism. And, and this is a specific phrase used by Pius XI and Paul VI. Liberal capitalism means a capitalism that's so free, that's what liberal means, is mm-hmm. free, so free that you can do whatever you want, however you want, with the things that you have. Uh, A free market that is completely devoid of any kind of oversight from the state whatsoever. That's not beholden to anything other than merely the whims of the individual in charge of his own property. That has also been condemned by the popes. Now why? Uh, Even Aristotle, and as Leo XIII will say, St. Thomas Aquinas, and the saints, and the popes have said, you have a right to private property. That's a natural right you have, but it's not an absolute right. Okay? At no point in time has the church ever taught that you have the absolute right, the freedom, right, wrongly understood, to do whatever you want with what you have, because, in point of fact, you are your brother's keeper. Okay, now, before we go to even the religious aspect of this, let me just appeal again to the natural law. There's this notion of the sort of the self-made man, that great figure, let's say, of the 19th century who pulls himself up by the bootstraps and founds his own business and, and then franchises and has great wealth and, and builds a huge house with beautiful wood in, in, in the, the, the country. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we have that story time and time again in American history, but it's a myth. There's no such thing as the self-made man because in point of fact, you know, the food that that man ate Right when he was hurrying on the way to a meeting, that food was made for him by somebody else, and which was harvested by somebody else to to do what he did. The police, provided and paid for by society, uh, gave him the the ability to to make sure that when he set up shop, that it would be protected and there would be consequences for those should somebody should those who who would try to break in. In other words, the the self-made man, quote unquote, depended on the work and labor and the constant. Uh, vigil of people from all over society that allowed him to do the things he, were, he was able to do. Does he have an obligation then for the person on the other side of the, the street or the person on the other side of town to make sure the society continues? Well, yes, he clearly benefited from it, mm-hmm. obviously. Right, that's the natural argument. Now, Publio and others have gone to the next step. They said, okay, we can understand that private property is, is a right, and then it's not an absolute right because you you have an obligation to to give back to society what it's provided to you, okay? Now, let's approach this as Christians. We don't believe as Christians that our private property is really ours. This notion that once we've tithed, once we've given the 10% of what we've made to the Church, we've fulfilled our obligation, as though God has a right to the 10% and no more. Christianity understands that Everything we have belongs to God, that He has 100 percent right to what we own. We have an obligation to meet our needs, for our family and ourselves, to save and to move on, etc. But beyond that, we don't well what we don't need, that must be used as we, as we think God's calling us to use it. And the, what the church is saying is God's calling you to make sure you use it for the most good, for the common good. Mm-hmm. And that common good is not just those within your your approximate uh, sphere, those in your family, those in your neighborhood, those in your in your city, but also for the common good those throughout the world, because we are our brother's keeper, and our brother is as much our brother on the other side of the world as he is across the street.
0: I believe it was Mother Teresa who was asked at one point, "Why would God allow famine in the world?" Mm-hmm. And Mother Teresa responded, God doesn't allow that. She goes, that's sin. Yes. And essentially, that's what it is because we make enough, we create enough in this world that no one should have to go hungry, and yet they do.
1: Exactly right. I mean, that's really at the heart of what the church has been trying to say with social doctrine. Um, There's a, a program that uses this analogy. Uh, and the analogy uh, about the social doctrine is uh, there are these friends walking by the side of a river um, and, um, and they, they notice that children uh, are in the river and being swept along by its tide. And so the friends jump in the river quickly and form a line and, they, and they're catching a child and passing it down the line to the shore. And, and, but kids keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. And, and one of the friends gets out and starts walking away. Well, his other friends are furious at him. and say, what are you doing? We need your help. Come here. Help us get these kids out. And the friend who's walking away turns around and says, I'm going upstream to find out why they're falling in in the first place, right? The social doctrine is trying to get at the root causes, right? But let's go a little bit further and find out, okay, what does that fellow find up there? Mm -hmm. Certainly, you can point to some material thing, uh, some problem, uh, maybe a bridge let go, or maybe, you know, whatever happened. But... But at the heart of all of it, whoever built the bridge or if it's some mean person throwing these kids in, whatever it is, at the heart of all of it is the human condition. That is at the root cause of everything that happens to us in this world, with the exception of natural disasters, certainly, but there's not much we can do about those in the first place. Human sin, the, 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 the battle between good and evil in the human heart, that is at the root cause of poverty, and famine, and a number of various things. And and the, the effort towards the distribution of wealth is an answer, is, is a call, is a plea on the part of the church to help us realize that it's up to us. Look, last time when we talked about the common good, I asked the question, who's primarily responsible for the common good? It's not the state, it's us. We're responsible for the common good, mm-hmm. us as individuals. And then this gets to the question when we get to this, this issue of the universal destination of goods, and people hear me say the distribution of wealth is something that the church encourages and calls forward. Well then you start getting images of socialism and, and you know distribution of wealth and people say well that's clearly not what the church teaches and actually no, you look at Pope after Pope after Pope after Pope, even you know, great Fulton Sheen talked about how the distribution of wealth is in point-of-fact part of the church's teaching. The question comes who's responsible for that distribution primarily. Again, we're responsible for that distribution. You and I, the listener, wherever they are, we're responsible for that distribution. And we will be accountable, by the way, should we not uh, um, uh, distribute that well. Gaudium et Spes, once again, is very clear on this. <clears throat> and in case you ever thought the church doesn't talk about hell anymore, you're wrong. In point of fact, Claudio Espes says on at least two occasions, if you do not care for your temporal goods, keeping in mind the needs of your neighbor, you jeopardize your salvation, period. It says it twice. If you do not take care of your private property in a way that helps your neighbor and properly distributes the goods that God has given you, you could go to hell. And it's as plain as day, and in the document they say, mm-hmm. they, they point to the rich man who ignored Lazarus outside his door. You remember the parable. Lazarus is the poor beggar outside the door of the rich man mm-hmm. begging for scraps. Right? And when the rich man dies, as does Lazarus, Lazarus is the one who's at the bosom of Abraham in heaven, and it's the rich man who's clearly in hell. If that is not sobering enough for us to start to consider how we're using our wealth, then then as abraham told the rich man well then um you might be destined for that as well you know it doesn't require abraham to appear to us once more and or christ himself to appear to us to tell us what to do it's there in the prophets it's there in scripture it's there in the church's teaching in the encyclicals we have an obligation to care for our neighbor uh, by the most proper use of our temporal goods
0: this is one of the essential reasons why evangelization is so important. And our Holy Father, as well as Pope John Paul II, and so many others call for a new evangelization. Because in encountering Christ, in that deepening of our relationship with Him, we become more fully formed, the church that He has gifted us. And in that deepening and that evangelization, then we can go out and we will be able to, as individuals, distribute. We will be called. It will become something that is natural because he's taken root in our heart. And it's not even so much—tell me if I'm wrong—it's not even so much, Omar, that we're responding, but it's Christ Christ within us. Exactly right. Thank you. Responding, and that's what evangelization is trying to do—is to ignite the fullness of Christ within us so that the world can be changed.
1: Thank you so much for saying that because that's 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 the point of the social doctrine. Look, you're not going to get people to the point where they're doing the distribution of wealth if it's being enforced if it's being um uh imposed from exterior sources, mm-hmm. right? So the effort of so much, I'm sorry, but the effort of so much of social justice to focus so much on the political, let's change the political structure, let's pass laws, let's do this, let's have the state step in, let's do X, Y, and Z. And we'll get to some of this, and we'll get to subsidiarity, but, but that effort to constantly focus on what the state will do right, to force us to do what we should do is, is missing, really, uh, the, the point and, and, and is ignoring the fact that where we, where we start is with Christ himself. That's why point number one in my summation of the social doctrine is, is Christ Jesus. In relationship with him, uh, our desire to give to our neighbor, to reach out, to have our hearts touched so much that we want to give to them, where not to do so would be a, a something that would give us guilt and, 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 and rack us, that, that, that desire is going to come only in relationship with Christ Jesus. And so when friends of mine say, well, what do you do in a situation, right? where you're struggling to find out what to do, and here here's this poor person, and do I give him money, or do I not, or do I open my doors, or wh- whatever. You have to be in a situation spiritually. This is why the spiritual life is so important, and, and and discerning hearts is exactly what we're... This is why this is part of discerning hearts, because this is part of the spiritual life. You have to be at a point already where your relationship with Christ is good enough so that you can actually hear his call in those moments. And this is why Our Lady is such a wonderful example, Right? As the angel Gabriel appears to her, her response is, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. I am what, I, what this is. I am this maidservant. I'm already that person. Mm-hmm. I don't have to become the handmaiden. I don't have to, to think about or discern who it is I'm supposed to be. She already is because she had already done that work beforehand. She was this created glory of God. We need to be there too. We need to form our lives to the point where when we're in, encountering the poor, The natural response immediately is, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. I am this person who gives. I am this person who distributes wealth. I am this person who will reach out and open my door to the immigrant, open my door to the person who's seeking food, open the door to those persons that that really need the help more than I do. Because we do have an
0: obligation. That moment when Jesus looks out among the crowd, they have no food. His heart is moved with pity. It breaks. And so in essence, in that great moment, he gives them the bread, he gives them the fish, but what ultimately what he gives is himself. Yeah. And that's what we're called to do. We're we're called to to give. And if we all, if the world is evangelized yeah. and Christ is in each of us and responding then the universality of that distribution of goods mm-hmm. can take place. Exactly.
1: And this is where the, you know, <clears throat> look, the, the you've heard the preferential option of the poor, perhaps. Um, uh, this is why the Church has that. And it's, it's an option that, that even Leo XIII talks about in Roman Novarum* is, is when you start to look at giving, who who do you give to most primarily? You give to those in most need and to the poor. Um, but then, you know, going back then to try to tie universal destination goods back into common good um, and to some of the, the other things that the Church has taught, um, we have to kind of maybe expand our understanding of poverty to a certain degree as well. There are obviously the, 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 the physical material needs that people have, but there are plenty of examples of, of a kind of cultural and spiritual poverty that, that, that are engaged in uh, these days. Um, you look at the United States, for instance, where we have uh, entire TV shows dedicated to um, uh, the remarkably vapid uh, mm-hmm. lives of people that somehow we're supposed to be keeping track of, because this is the most important thing, that I keep mm-hmm. track of of other people's depravity. Mm-hmm. Um, th- that's a poor distribution of wealth. Right? And we have an entire industry without, you know, I don't want to get on a soapbox too much, but... You know, we spend so much time thinking about the political culture and the political climate and the, um, you know, the, 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 the rhetoric and, and this and that and the other thing. And, and yet mm-hmm. we entirely ignore things like uh, movies like Grindhouse by Tarantino and Rodriguez, where you have, you know, scanty-clad women plowing down scores of people uh, using incredible violence A movies made for the sake of violence, right? Mm-hmm. And yet we don't bat an eye. You know, somehow because of freedom of speech that should be allowed right? though it corrupts the soul uh, and our rhetoric on the, in the public sphere has to be tampered so that uh, in places like Canada for instance you could be put to trial for preaching the church's teachings regarding homosexuality or, or, or abortion um, I mention these things because the universal destination of goods has to keep in mind that there are are needs and wants that go beyond just material needs. There are cultural, there are spiritual needs and wants that we have to keep in mind. Again, the common good is not just what's good for us materially, but also spiritually uh, and also psychologically. So when we look at this universal destination of goods, we have to take those goods into account as well.
0: got to remember the ultimate goal, heaven. It's holiness, because if you're in heaven then you're a saint. Yes. And the idea is that everybody gets there. We all go there together. I keep going back to evangelization, but I think it's so important that to to make the connection between evangelization and Catholic social teaching. Good, thank you. They're married. They go hand in hand. It it that's the new evangelization. Is how do you move from your head to your heart? Mhm. And if you if you're truly evangelizing folks, and you, you could, it's one thing to give proof text on on where you can find you know certain aspects of Marian dogma, or or if you are going to be able to articulate certain teachings of the of the church. Yes, it's important to have that head, yeah. but you've got to make the movement to the heart. And the only way you're going to know that it truly has made that movement, ultimately, will be in that action of Christ. Out in the world, exactly. in that union with the experience of the heart.
1: No, it's exactly right. I mean, this is. <clears throat> I mean, you could you could give any number of examples. Uh, even you know, the whole Methodist tradition with John Wesley, when when he heard uh, the, the letter of the Romans being preached in an Anglican church in England, was moved by it uh, to the point that he realized. This whole, you know, uh, salvation by faith alone is well, well and good, but we have to have works too. And as Catholics, we believe you're salvation by faith and works. Right? If your if your faith does not translate into works, your faith is dead. It's meaningless. You might as well toss it out the window. It has to translate into some kind of work. Now, does it have to be going off into Africa and leaving your family behind or carrying your family with you? No. It can be done within the household, and, as you're saying, it can be done through evangelization, and it itself is evangelization. Pope Benedict XVI says this in Caritas and Veritate. He says uh, the mm-hmm. social doctrine is uh, a, a perfect um, a delivery system for the faith and for, for bringing people to the faith, and he's quoting, actually, uh, Pope Paul VI, who, who says in his document Evangelii Annunciandi, on on evangelization talks about the social doctrine as being a form of uh, of evangelization of living out the church's teaching on social social justice is a way of bringing people to Christ. Uh, but the larger point still again needs to be made: uh, you can't bring about this this the social justice social change unless you bring people to Christ Jesus. That's the way to do it. So. This notion, and I, I remember this from an account, an account, an encounter I had many years ago uh, by a young man who had just learned about liberation theology. He said, we need to pull the nuns out of their convent and get them to work for the poor. As though the beautiful, glorious graces that are granted to all of us mm-hmm. uh, by the good sisters and nuns in the convents aren't social doctrine, aren't social justice. They are, and why? Because they're the very engine of the work of the Church. The the prayers of those good sisters and the Carmelites, the poor Clares, and 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 the, the, the monks, the, the friars who are themselves also praying for the world and for us, those prayers, those graces that we get from that, that's what makes us able to do the work of social justice. Uh, so doing the work of social justice is evangelization, Evangelization is social justice because it brings us closer to the Christ who can transform the world.
0: No one should be confused in what we're saying as far as the importance of works. It's a manifestation of again of Christ within us mm-hmm. responding. But it's almost a chicken and an egg type of thing, Omar. Really, what has to come first is the prayer. Yeah. It's the prayer first, encountering Christ, and then he will bring forth what it is we're supposed to do. We have to listen to him first. If you're not praying and listening to him, he can't guide our steps. And the, the danger becomes if we begin to determine on our own, in our head, what the need is and not allow to present the need a wonderful example in scripture of this is the mary martha story Mm. because martha she did write she she invited you know she prepared the place she asked him to enter Mm -hmm. and then she provided the setting where mary came and started to listen to the lord anytime jesus speaks it, it, it is prayer, yeah. in essence, because he and the Father are one. And in that, in that great communication, there's prayer happening, and Mary is listening. The problem becomes when Martha steps up, interrupts the prayer, yes. and then begins to tell Jesus what the need is. <laughs> exactly
1: right. That's part of the story people don't quite understand. Yeah, That's
0: right. It wasn't that she wasn't doing good, no. but it wasn't what the Lord had in mind.
1: No, and, and the, the, the problem is that she was, what she was doing was fine. It's when she steps up and says to Jesus, would you step in and please tell my sister what to do because I think this is my need and this is what needs to happen. Mm-hmm. That's where she steps over the line, and it's at that point. Remember, Jesus didn't tell her at any point in time, Martha, stop what you're doing and come sit down. It wasn't until she interjected that Jesus said, your sister's taking the better part here by sitting and listening and receiving. Uh, the the we can't be disciples. The, the word disciple comes from the Latin "discipuli," which is the word for student. Right? You can't be a student and listen like like Mary is in the proper, you know, ancient position of the student at the feet of the master and listening and taking in. You can't be a proper student and be running around all the place right at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it just doesn't work that well. Um, so so yeah, yeah, you, you have to start with prayer and those. Those, those efforts in social justice that, that make the claim that you do the work first and then reflect on it afterwards, the problem with that is that when you're driven just by the work, right, you're not driven by Christ. Right? When you're reflecting back on the work, your reflections on the work can be skewed by your own experiences. Um, you have to be rooted first in prayer. Right? The, the work has to come out of prayer first. Once that happens, then take the time to to reflect on the work. But the work has to come from prayer first, from that encounter with Christ
0: first. You've been listening to Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you that you will first pray for our mission and if you feel us worthy consider a charitable donation to help support our efforts. But most of all we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Regnum Novum bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez.